All right, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. So we just sang Joy to the World. Amen? Good Christmas song, Joy to the World. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And uh, that's a great way to summarize our message today. Uh, you know, and notice that it's joy to the world. The Lord has come, not Santa has come. Let earth receive her Xbox. <laughs> That's not what it says, right? Because Santa ain't Lord. Jesus is Lord. And uh, uh, what turns our gloom and sadness and darkness into joy is not a new Xbox. Um, or a new whatever you may think you need for Christmas. It's really Jesus, and it's receiving Jesus as King in an ever-deepening way in our lives. You know, in Isaiah chapter 8, uh, we talked about this last week, but the, 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 the uh, uh, people would look around and they would see gloom and distress and darkness. Then Isaiah chapter 9 rings in a message of good news. No more gloom and darkness, instead, incredible joy. And why? Why the reason for the joy? Because a new king is coming. A new king is coming. Let's read chapter 9, verse 6. The announcement goes like this. You didn't think announcements was an important part of church. Well, announcements on this day. Isaiah had announcements on this day. And he's like, I've got the best announcement you're ever going to hear. A new king is coming, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, a lot of times when we think of government, we think of, I don't know, we, I don't know what exactly you think of, but that's not what we're supposed to think of <laughs> with this kind of government. Basically, it means the, the, the leadership of the earth is on his shoulders, amen? Um. Of his uh, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign. Or no, I skipped. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, and this is our sermon series, Wonderful Counselor. That was last week's sermon. Mighty God. That's the, today's sermon. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Those are coming up. Of the increase of his leader, government or leadership in peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So how does this joy to the world, how does this work? Why does the entrance of King Jesus into the world bring joy? That's what our sermon series is exploring. The character of the king is the answer to that question. It's not just a new king, it's who this king is. It's what's in his character and in, in therefore in the character of his kingdom. So we're talking, about, we're talking about how this character of the king turns our gloom and darkness into great joy. Last week we talked about wonderful counselor, King Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He wonderfully counsels us, guides us, teaches us, instructs us not just with answers, but with his companionship. Today, we're discussing Jesus, King Jesus, as mighty God, as our warrior king, 
who shatters all yokes of oppression and sets us free, not only uh, sets us free to not only join him in this great fight, but to join him in ultimate and eternal victory. You know, uh, uh, Jordan's basketball team uh, played in a tournament this morning. But see, Jordan loves God more than basketball, so she's at church. Amen? Side message. Uh, but I said, you know what? Maybe God will bless your team. I don't know how much God is interested in, in a, a sixth grade girls basketball. No, no more than he is interested in football or whatever. Uh, but I know he's interested in the people. But we got a message from the team. And the message was a message of victory. Amen? That's like the message of Jesus. It is a message of victory. Would we rather have a message of defeat or victory? Victory, amen? Uh, that's what Jesus' message brings. Our mighty God, join, we can join him in this victory. So I want to talk about this word mighty. A lot of times when we think of mighty, we just think of strong. But it's much more than that. The word mighty, this expression mighty God, is more talking about someone who is brave in battle. Someone who is a warrior. Not just a warrior, though, but a champion warrior. A valiant hero. Mighty God. The word is gabor. The Hebrew word is gabor. Mighty warrior. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 7. David writes, lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, somehow the world at least for me growing up, there was this picture of Jesus that was painted that was kind of, a, um, what's the words, kind of, there's a softness. And certainly we learned last week that Jesus is incredibly tender-hearted, amen, and sensitive and caring. And, uh, um, but there's a, maybe an overreaction and there's this image of Jesus as um, kind of overly tender. And we have to balance that idea that Jesus, that our King Jesus is a warrior God. Okay? He is more maybe like uh, Braveheart than... Uh, what's that? Pee Wee Herman. Okay? More like Maximus from Gladiator versus the king in Gladiator that everyone just wanted to wring his neck, right? Uh, more like, who's seen Lionheart? More like Mufasa, right? Who loves, what did I say? Lionheart? Lionheart? He, pretty good, too. Huh? No. Uh, Lion King. 
when you get this age, there's all kinds of things that your brain starts stops functioning. Anyways, but uh, uh, Mufasa, let's just say it together. Mufasa. Ooh. Say it again. Mufasa. Ooh. All right? If you've never seen Lionheart, you're really concerned right now. <laughs> Lion King. This is going to end up in a video someday, isn't it? Mufasa die. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, in honor of a certain historian amongst us, maybe more like Napoleon. <laughs> okay. Anyways, how about more like Jesus? So we are introduced to our warrior king, God, back in the book of Exodus, when God rescued his people. Uh, this is where we first are introduced that God isn't passive. God isn't just sit back and let his people be uh, oppressed. God, at the cries of his people, comes and rescues them. Um, Exodus communicated to this about God. If you are against me, I will be against you. But if you are for me, if you are mine, I will fight for you, and I will rescue you. And those who are against you will lose. We're reminded in the book of Judges when Gideon, uh, when the, the God's people was under great oppression by uh, the Midianites. And this is what Isaiah says, if we turn back there, just before verse 6. It says uh, in verse 4, it says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat... So when we read that, we should look at, well, what is he talking about? What was Midian's defeat? What came to mind when Isaiah made that announcement to his listener? Well, what came to mind was the Israelites being incredibly oppressed by Midian. They were stealing the, the calves. They were trampling the crops. It was going horrible. And God stepped in, inserted himself, and did something about it. And he did it with the work of, through, through Gideon, who described himself as the weakest, the most fearful amongst all of the Israelites. But God said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And the story ends with 300 Israelites uh, going to battle against 135,000 Midianites. And God, as warrior king, won the battle. Amen? And was it through their great strength and their great battle plan? No, they smashed lanterns and shouted. And God won the victory. Maybe we're reminded of uh, the Assyria, again, going against the Israelites, and Hezekiah crying out. Let's look over there in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 32. Again, we're, I'm sharing all this to expose the character of the king, mighty God. 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 7. He says to Hezekiah, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Skip down to verse 20. Then King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. 
So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace, and when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons cut him down with the sword. Mighty God, warrior king, if we go against God, we will lose. But if we go with God, God goes with us. Amen? And the ultimate victory is his. So the Jews were looking forward to this new king, this Messiah, the Christ. But they thought, they, they were misunderstanding the nature of the king and the nature of the kingdom. They thought it was going to be a physical kingdom, which would then make them the most powerful nation on the earth. So when Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, because you may say, well, that wasn't necessarily Jesus. That, you know, Jesus and God are one. Amen? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're different but one. And we won't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure that out. But we know it's true, okay? And so Jesus says he was the exact representation of God. So God came into uh, flesh and came into the earth. And so the Jews, at the announcement of this Messiah, some who believed, even the apostles, thought then that meant that uh, the, the Jews, the Israel, would become the kings of the world, so to speak. And this is why James and John wanted to sit at the right and the left, because they would be the most powerful uh, in this kingdom after the king. But Jesus tried to communicate, no, it's not a physical kingdom, but it's a spiritual one. This is not a physical battle, but a spiritual one. Now, a spiritual battle is not less real than the physical. It's actually more real than the physical. What do we really believe? Is it, do we believe in the flesh that what's most real is what we see and feel and touch? I believe what's most real is spirit. God is spirit. He is eternal. What's most real is uh, the soul, the spiritual world. Amen? Uh, now, our physical world is, is real, too, and there's not antinomianism where you try to separate the physical and the flesh and the spirit. They are one, but the real battle uh, lies uh, a spiritual one. Amen? God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. So Jesus went to war and fought for and fought against and champion the cause of the oppressed, the physically oppressed, the leper, the crippled, the blind, the poor, the outcasts of society. Jesus said, I'm fighting for this, this group right here. The emotionally oppressed, the orphan, the widow, elderly, the children, those who are vulnerable, those who are weak, those who are lonely and discouraged, unwanted and hopeless. Jesus said, I am the warrior king who will fight for the cause of this group. The spiritually oppressed, the demon-possessed, the sinners, the tax collectors whom he didn't shun, but he ate with and fellowshiped with to call them into his kingdom. The demon-possessed, those who were sinful, even caught in sin in the moment and guilty. He who is without sin may cast the first stone, Jesus fought for that woman caught in adultery, just like he fights for all of us caught in our sin. Are you with me there? This is our Jesus. This is our king. This is the character of the king. This is why there's good news today. Physically, if you're hurting, emotionally, if you're hurting, spiritually, if you're hurting, you can know that there's a great king who is fighting for you and fighting 
with you unless you choose to fight against him. And the goal of this sermon is to inspire all of us to not fight against the king, but to fight with the king and fight for one another. Amen? So Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This great, strong, mighty warrior king says, I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart, in mind. And this is why all he's able to champion the cause of the physically, emotionally, and spiritually oppressed. Let's look over in Revelation 17, then we're just going to talk about what this all means for us today. Revelation 17. Isn't Jesus awesome? This is our king. Revelation 17, verse 14. Now, Revelation is um, here, it's talking about, Revelation is, is, is a book that we can be afraid of because it's like kind of crazy images going on. Partly we can be afraid because over the years there's been all kinds of honestly, really bizarre and weird interpretations of the book of Revelation. But it really, if we, if we understand the reason it's written and wh- you know, why it's written and who it's written for and how to in- apply the correct rules of interpretation, it can actually be an incredibly simple and inspiring book. It is a peeling back of the veil of what's really going on behind the physical world the spiritual realm. And so when we peel back the veil, we see that there's a great war, a great battle going on. Verse 14 says, they will make war against the Lamb. Who's they? They is the spiritual forces of evil. Who's the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. So there's a war going on against the Lamb. But the Lamb will overcome. Then the will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. What we see is that these, the evil was thrown out of heaven, and they went to make war on the earth. So there's a spiritual war that is being charged against Jesus and his church, Jesus and his followers. What does this mean for us today? Number one, it means warrior King Jesus is in the battle today. Remember, it says that from now and forevermore, Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead physically, and lives today physically. Are you with me? It was a physical resurrection. He ate food, and it didn't just go into air. Okay, he arose physically and he lives physically today. Amen? So that means he is who he is, he is who he was, and he is who he will be today and forever. He's at war today. There are forces of evil at war against him. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says, From that time on for and forever, 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Matthew 18, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The mighty God, King Jesus, is at war today. This is our reality. Do you, have you experienced the spiritual battle around you? Have you experienced it within you? I would say if you're at all in touch with your soul, your heart, your sinful nature, we would give a loud amen that there's a battle going on. Do we need to read the paper very long before we see evidence of a spiritual battle at work against all things good, against God, against the things of God, like marriage, like the church, like family, there's a spiritual war against. Uh, this is our reality, and this is our reason. We're at war, and this is our hope. Our hope is not in ourselves winning the war. Our hope is in that Jesus has won the war. The resurrection has won the war. It's finished, and we live in that today, and we're in a process of restoring God's kingdom. You know, uh, um, that's reality number one. Number two, come fully to warrior King Jesus. So if we're going to come, Jesus says, just come to me. Come to me. So what's this mean for us today? Number one, it means that the war is going on. Number two, we need to come in full surrender to this warrior King Jesus. The truth is, guys, we have all fought against God. We have all gone at one time or another and continue to struggle with going our own way. We fight against God. Remember when Jesus told Paul the, when he was still Saul? Do you remember what a question he asked him? When Saul said, who are you? And Jesus said, I am the Christ. I am Jesus. Okay? Remember what Jesus asked him at that point? Ask them, how long will you kick against the goats? What he was saying to Paul, to Saul, was, how long are you going to fight me? How long are you going to fight me? And I know for years I just fought God. I didn't, I didn't want to be pure. I wanted to be impure. I didn't, I didn't want to live for others. I wanted to live for myself. I, I, I didn't, are you with me there? We all fight God. The truth is, when we fight God, oppression is our experience. We are oppressed. Outside of total surrender to King Jesus, we are oppressed by forces of evil. We are oppressed. But when we come to Jesus and surrender fully to Him as King, fully proclaiming Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord anymore. Jesus is Lord. Then he fights for and he shatters these rods of oppression and he sets us free. I want to share a little bit about how this oppression works. See if you can identify with it. Number one, we're oppressed by our own sins. We've all sinned. We've all shoved short. And the, the nature of sin is not that we just sin one time, we feel bad about it, and then okay, it's all good from here because I'm so spiritual and wise that I made that one mistake and I'm good to go. I learned that lesson. 
Awesome, right? That's not how sin works. Has that, by the way, has that been anyone's experience with sin? Can, anyone's like, I, I struggled with that once and now I'm done. That's not how it works. Once it does, it gets in there and you sin and you do feel bad about it and you think, oh, I don't want to do that again. That wasn't what I thought it was, right? And, but then what happens? It enslaves you. It has power. So then after a little while, you sin some more and you need a little more, right? And I, um, it enslaves you. The, but when we surrender to Jesus, we have two things that he gives us to break this oppression. One is the grace of God. The woman caught in adultery. How did she escape this? Jesus says, does anyone condemn you after everyone had left? Does anyone condemn you? Who, by the way, was the only one who could have thrown a stone at her? Are you familiar with the story I'm talking about? If you're not, go and read John chapter 8. It's an incredible story of King Jesus. But she was caught in the act of adultery. The law keepers were like, this woman deserves to be stoned. And they had the stones, and they were ready to rock and roll. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa stop. Stop. He who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. And it says the older ones dropped their stones first. Because there were some young zealots who were not quite as in touch with how evil they were. And by the way, Jesus does call us all evil. He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Do you, are you okay with that, or are you offended by that? Me? Me? Evil? Ho, 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 ho. Okay, you're still rather young, if that's your temptation. Those of us who are old know, like, you're preaching to the choir there. I know the motives in my heart can be evil. I know the things I've done in secret. I know the things that I don't want to tell anyone can only be described as evil. Okay, so I'm out. Here's my stone. I'm out. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Right? So after a while, everyone had left. Who was the only one who could have thrown a stone? It was Jesus, because he hadn't sinned. Right? But why didn't he throw the stone? Because he threw the stone at himself on the cross. He says, I'm not going to throw the stone. I'm going to take your punishment onto myself. So you, therefore, can go and leave your life of sin. So he sets her free from the judgment and gives her grace and gives her the freedom that comes along from no longer needing to be enslaved to sin. I'll tell you some of my, uh, do you guys want me to confess my sins to you? Usually everyone's like, oh, yeah. I love it when that guy, he can, I struggle with pride, struggle with selfishness, I struggle with impurity, I struggle with, I mean, we could keep going, if you want more, selfish ambition, factions, envy, Galatians 5.19 could be my Facebook page, <laughs> about, click, Galatians 5.19, and I could add another one, 2 Timothy 3, the sins of the heart, because they're not just outward, they come from somewhere. You with me there? And when, I, when I'm living in pride, and let's say things go a little well, well, how does that pride 
now become oppressive because it needs to keep going well in order for me to still feel good about myself. And so now there's more pressure to pride and more pressure to reputation. How about uh, um, selfishness? I get, I get a little, I live for myself and I get some for myself, right? Now what happens? Oh, I'm just all good. Nope, now I need more. And I, I got to control more and I got to get more. How about, how about greed and self-indulgence? Um, have you come to the point where you just have enough outside of Christ? You know what? Don't, just don't give me another raise because I've got enough. Why don't you just give that to someone else? That would be like, are you crazy? <laughs> uh, outside of Christ. But you know what? In Christ, I've, got, I've, I've come to the land of enough. I don't need any more. Let's just give me more, but I'm just going to give it away. Amen? Um, sin enslaves you, but grace sets you free. Loneliness. We're oppressed by loneliness. See, when we, get lo- when, we, when we sin, the first thing we do is we hide. Just like Adam and Eve, we hide. And when we, get, when we hide, we get lonely. And when we're lonely and we're hiding, there's discouragement. Okay, there's, I can be in a crowd of people like this, but no one knows me, and I don't know them. And, but then openness welcomes us into this family, and the rod of oppression of loneliness is broken. Just one step of openness. Are you lonely today? One step of openness, saying, I feel alone all of a sudden starts to flood in uh, family and love and connection and warmth into our souls. We're oppressed by our weaknesses, and we end up doubting. We have more doubt because of our weakness, and then we have more doubt, and we, we get weaker. But the Spirit, King Jesus, breaks that pattern by giving us the Holy Spirit. When we make Jesus Lord and we're baptized into Christ, we receive the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And this Spirit goes to work and actually turns our weaknesses into strengths. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? There's a transformation that goes on. How about fear? Any of you struggle with fear, insecurity? How about public speaking? How about you come on up here and share, right? Who? I used to have a guttural reaction talking in public. I would, my body would start to shake. I'm not kidding. I would, I would literally shake, and my voice would get all weird, and my leg, I remember, I, I remember t- trying to talk, and my leg was shaking so bad that I had this natural vibrato, and it was like, what is wrong with you? Right? Anybody, anyone can relate? We have fears, and what fear does is it holds us back. It's like, no, that's okay. Uh, Moses, it held him back. Uh, Gideon, held him back. All those who struggled with fear, I'm just going to hold back. And so we're oppressed by this fear, but the Spirit comes in and actually gives us boldness and courage. I can't wait for our study in the book of Acts, because it's all about the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we see from the Spirit 
is this incredible boldness, which doesn't just mean standing in front of our classrooms and come to church. It may mean that, but it means stopping holding back. That's what it means. I'm not going to hold back anymore. Uh, boldness and courage. And then the oppression of insignificance. When we're in sin and enslaved, when we're lonely and hiding, when we're full of weakness and doubt, we're fearful, um, fear and we're holding back, we just feel insignificant. It's like, what's the point? What's the point? And we feel a meaninglessness. Why am I doing this anyway? Who cares what kind of grade I get in this class? You ever feel that with college students? Those of us who, who are, what, what difference does it make if this goes well or doesn't go well? Um, and there's a meaninglessness. But God, Jesus breaks the, the rod of oppression by giving us a battle for which to fight. He includes us in a purpose that is full of meaning. It's spiritual meaning. It's for God. And that's the last point, is to engage in the real battle with warrior king Jesus. What battle are you engaged in today? So what's this all mean for us? What battle are we engaged in? The answer, we can have all kinds of battles that we can be engaged in. The battle for success, comfort, a family, a sports team, uh, all these battles, if our answer is anything outside of Jesus, King, warrior, mighty God, these battles will result in defeat, even if we're temporarily successful in them. In the end, they are meaningless. We may be experience temporal victory in these areas, but ultimately we'll be defeated. But there's another answer, to engage with the king in his battle, not ours. We engage in the king. And remember in Revelation 17, I love this, it says the lamb will overcome them because of the Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him, with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. This is our battle, amen? To be with him as a called, a chosen, and a faithful follower of the mighty God, King Jesus, to engage into him and into his battle, and therefore we will join in the ultimate victory. Amen? So King Jesus, turning, joy, turning gloom and darkness into joy. How does this happen? Know, first of all, that this king is battling today. He's battling for you. Are you fighting him? Maybe today's the day to give up the fight against him and join the fight with him. Are you oppressed by any of these things? Come fully to the warrior King Jesus. Lay this burden. He will take the burden if we come in total surrender, not half surrender, not, well, I'll give a little bit, but I'm going to keep hold on to this. Okay, you're not ready yet. It will get worse, but then someday come to Jesus. Let today be the day to come fully in full surrender to warrior King Jesus, and then we'll be free to engage in his battle, no longer just ours. So what we're going to do, we're going to do something different here today. Amen? If I could have the worship team come on up. What we're going to do different is how we pray, prepare for communion. Usually we sing kind of a more contemplative, softer type song. Today we're going to sing, Build Your Kingdom Here. Amen? And what we're going to prepare for you, but I want us to sing, not, uh, this song is a prayer. Okay, so this is our prayer 
for communion. And I want us to stand up and I want us to pray to God to prepare us for communion, build your kingdom here. And we're praying, we're singing to our King Jesus. And I want us to let him have it. Amen? Well, let us hear it. Believe what you're going to sing. Sing from your soul. All right? No softy wafties around here. Okay? We sing out. And this is our prayer for communion. Afterwards, we will sit down and we'll take communion. And then Jake is going to uh, play a little bit on the piano, and that's going to lead into a special song that he's going to sing, Hallelujah. As we do this, let's, let's remember and honor our King Jesus. Amen. <laughs> 